Al-Bashir, your source of Islamic literature, presents Al-Akhirah, the afterlife, part two, narrated by Imam Anwar Al-Awlaqi. We'll talk about the acts that cause a person to be in hellfire for eternity, and we'll talk about some of the actions that cause a person to be in hellfire for a temporary time. And a good way to learn something is to teach it. In education, this is known. If you want to learn something, it's very good if you teach it to others. And one of the scholars who uh, became a very well-known speaker on the uh, Arabic-speaking uh, countries, when he was talking about his life, uh, he said that very early on, when he was very young, he used to go and read some Islamic books, and then he would go out to the grocery store, and they would be the grocery owner and some other people sitting outside the store, he would go and sit with them and deliver whatever he read. And that is how he learned how to, that's how he learned the material and that is also how he learned to speak. And eventually he became very well known. His name is Sheikh Ahmed Al-Qattan, if any of you heard about him. Uh, therefore it would be very helpful for us if we deliver this material to others, our families, our friends. But this is a material that we need to study and remember for life because this is our future. It's one of these, one of these two options and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah makes us of the people of Jannah. The ones who will receive eternal torment and hellfire uh, are the disbelievers and the hypocrites. These are the two categories of people who will receive the punishment for eternity. It's not a temporary time. It's not a million years, a billion years. It's infinity. Eternal punishment and hellfire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَكَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا أُولَئِكَ أَصْحَابُ النَّارِ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ The ones who disbelieved and rejected our ayat are the people of hellfire. They will reside therein forever. A thought used to come up in my mind. How come these people sinned for only 60 or 70 or 80 years and then they're punished for an infinite amount of time. Why not just punish them for 60 years or 70 years the time that they spent in dunya and then uh, that's it. How come they're punished for eternity? And that is that death came to them unannounced. It came to them when they were 60 years old. But if they did live until 60, until they became 61, they would still have sinned. If they lived 62, they would still have sinned. If they live to 65, they would still have rejected the truth. If they live forever, they would have rejected the truth. They had the, in the intention of disbelieving forever. Therefore, they're punished forever. And that's why intention is very important. Because they had the intention of sinning forever, they received punishment forever, even though they only lived in this world for 60 or 70 years. And uh, the other category of people who will be punished in hellfire uh, for good are the hypocrites and the hypocrites are receiving the worst punishment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says <laughs> the hypocrites are in the lowest levels or ranks of hellfire they receive the worst punishment because the lowest rank is the worst and the situation of the munafiqeen is worse than the non-believers because uh, with the munafiqeen not only is there disbelief, but there is deception, there is lying, there is all of these bad qualities. And they are closer to the truth because they are exposed to it always and they are pretending that they are following the truth. 
and they still reject it. Therefore, their situation is much worse than the non-believers who might be far away from the message itself. And also because the harm of the hypocrites to the ummah is greater than the harm of the disbeliever. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about al-munafiqeen, the hypocrites in detail in Quran. Because of their underground deceptive conspiracies against the ummah, they end up harming the ummah more than the outside enemy who has a clear banner that I'm your enemy. But with the munafiqeen, they're working underground and breaking it down from areas that we don't perceive. And if we look at the earliest disputes that happened among the Muslims and the biggest fitan, they were caused by the munafiqeen. And if we look at the time of Rasulullah the greatest harm to Rasulullah was caused by al-munafiqeen who were with him in Medina. The enemy was outside. Torment. The temporary torment is for the believers who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, believe in the messengers, but they have accumulated sins and the sins are too much and they did not, all of the afflictions that they had in this world and the suffering of death and the suffering of the grave and the pain of the day of judgment was not enough to wash away those sins so they still have to spend some time in hellfire. And there are many sins that could cause this fate. I'll just mention some of them which were mentioned that carried the threat of hellfire specifically in Quran or in Hadith. But this is not in general all of the sins. I mean, any sin could cause this. I'm just choosing a few. And by the way, I'm basing most of this on a book written by Sheikh Amr al-Ashqar. And he has used many, many resources to come up with an excellent book about this topic of Al-Jannah and Nar. Number one, the deviant sects. Uh, Rasulullah says that the Jews have divided into 71 sects. And the Christians have divided into 72 sects. And this Ummah, the Muslims, are going to divide into 73 sects. Every one of them is in hellfire except one. So this Ummah, Rasulullah said, will divide into more sects than the nations before. This Ummah will divide more than the Christians did and more than the Jews did. And only one of these sects would be in paradise, the rest are going to be in hellfire. And very, very important thing to say when we talk about this, this is not talking about different schools of thought. This is not talking about different Islamic groups that are serving the same purpose. This is talking about sects that separated on fixed principles of Sharia. They have made up for themselves foundations that are uh, different than the uh, fixed foundations of Islam. For example, a sect that is believing in a new prophet. This is a something that is a consensus. It's an issue of aqidah, faith, creed. That Rasulullah is the seal of the prophets. Now, for example, Qadianiyah that believe in a, in a new prophet uh, has became a separate sect which is in hellfire. And the same could be said about, for example, Baha'iyyah, which started out claiming that it's a sect of Islam, but by the way, a few years ago they announced that they're a separate religion now. They said we're not part of Islam anymore. Also something else that I want to note, uh, clarify on this hadith. Uh, this does not mean that the majority of the Ummah are in hellfire. You could get the understanding from the hadith that since 72 of these sects are in hellfire, then the majority of them are in hellfire. That's not necessarily the case. Because most of the laymen of the Ummah, the common people, they never participated in sex. They don't know what's going on. They just believe in Allah and the Messenger and they go to masjid and they go to the Masjid and pray. Therefore, they cannot be counted as parts of these sects, even though they may care the label. 
but they pray and they fast and they pay zakah and they they're busy with their dunya and they believe in these principles of Islam and they didn't get into the the flaws and the uh, deviance of the creed. Also something else to note that this hadith does not say that these 72 sects are in hellfire forever. Some of them could be forever and some of them could be for a temporary time. Uh, number two, the unjust judge. There is a hadith in Tirmidhi, Rasulullah says that there are three types of judges. Two of them are in hellfire and one is in Jannah. The two who are in hellfire is a judge who rules and knows that this is wrong, but he's still doing it for a worldly reason. Rasulullah says that judge is in hellfire. And then there's another judge who is ruling, but has no knowledge, is ignorant, and he is causing harm to others because of his ignorance. Rasulullah also says that this judge is in hellfire. And then there's a third judge which knows and applies the knowledge in a righteous fashion, and that judge is in paradise. Number three, fabrication of hadith. Rasulullah says, and this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim and many other books of hadith, مَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ مُتَعَمِّدًا فَلْيَتَبَوَّأْ مَقْعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ Whoever, and this hadith says, مَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ فَلْيَتَبَوَّأْ مَقْعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ Whoever lies, fabricates a lie against me, will be guaranteed a seat in hellfire, a place in hellfire. If somebody fabricates a hadith against Rasulullah وسلم, even if it has a good meaning, that person will be guaranteed the place in hellfire. And this is talking about the ones who fabricate, the ones who fabricate the hadith, the ones who make the hadith up. It's also a sin, but not to the same degree, to narrate fabricated ahadith. It is a sin to say that Rasulullah said this when he didn't say it. And therefore we should be careful in the ahadith that we narrate. Number four, arrogance. Arrogance is a very, very dangerous sin. Rasulullah says, and this hadith is in Muslim, لا يدخل الجنة من كان في قلبه مثقال ذرة من خردل من كبر. Rasulullah says, the one who has a single grain of arrogance, pride in their hearts will not enter into paradise. Just a small amount of arrogance is enough to keep a person away from paradise. We're not talking about a heart filled with arrogance. We're talking about just a single grain of arrogance in a heart is enough to take a person away from paradise. When Rasulullah said this, a sahabi said, إِنَّ الرَّجُلْ يُحِبُّ أَنْ يَكُونَ ثَوْبُهُ حَسَنًا وَنَعْلُهُ حَسَنًا the Sahabi said, we like to have our clothes clean and our shoes clean. The Sahabi felt that maybe that's a form of pride, that you want to look good. Rasulullah said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ جَمِيلٌ يُحِبُّ الْجَمَالِ الْكِبْرُ بَطْرُ الْحَقِّ وَغَمْطُ النَّاسِ Rasulullah said, Allah is beautiful and He loves beauty. Therefore it's okay if you want to have good clothes and clean. That's not arrogance. But then Rasulullah gave the definition of arrogance. He said, الْكِبْرُ Al-kibr is transgressing against others and rejecting the truth. What does rejecting the truth here mean? You are shown the truth, but because of your pride, you refuse to follow it. Because you don't want to show that you're ignorant, because the person does not want to adopt someone else's idea or something, because of too much self-confidence to the extent that you refuse anything else, that is arrogance, and also it is uh, transgressing against others. So you don't give people what is due to them. That is arrogance. That is the kibr, which is not allowed. A fifth sin that is uh, very dangerous and carries a threat of hellfire with it is uh, murder. Al-qatl, killing people 
innocently without a reason. That's a major, major sin. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran, Subhanallah, this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, If a man kills a believer intentionally, his recompense is hell to abide therein forever. And the wrath and the curse of Allah are upon him, and the dreadful penalty is prepared for him. All the threats are there. Hellfire, uh, the curse of Allah, and a dreadful penalty. This is talking about the, ones who, the one who kills a believer. What about if you kill a non-believer? If there is a contract of peace between a Muslim and a non-Muslim, then Rasulullah says, مَنْ قَتَلَ مُعَاهِدًا And another hadith, مَنْ قَتَلَ ذَمِّيًا لَمْ يُرَحْ رَأَحْتَ الْجَنَّةِ if you kill a person whom you have given peace, then you will not smell the smell of paradise. Number six, riba. Riba is interest. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the ayah that the ones who insist on dealing with interest for them is the punishment of hellfire. And also Rasulullah says, beware of the seven greatest sins. And he mentioned the riba as one of them. Riba is one of the seven greatest sins. We should never underestimate riba. Riba is a disaster. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that whoever deals with interest, Allah and His Messenger are waging a war against you. If you deal with interest, Allah and His Messenger are going to wage a war against the person who deals with interest. Ibn Abbas gives a tafsir to this ayah. He says on the Day of Judgment, the person who deals with riba is going to come out of his grave like the one who is obsessed with the devil, jumping and shaking violently as if the person is obsessed with the devil. And then the angels are going to come to that person and give him weapons. And they are going to tell him, prepare for war. You're going to fight against Allah and his messenger here, go and fight. It's a very dangerous sin. And it's one of the uh, sins that has become very, very widespread in the modern world of today. I mean, in the world of today, the whole world is immersed in a pool of riba. Number seven, eating other people's property, taking what does not belong to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ بِالْبَاطِلِ إِلَّا إِلَّا أَن تَكُونَ تِجَارَةً عَن تَرَاضٍ مِّنكُمْ وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِكُمْ رَحِيمًا وَمَن يَفْعَلْ ذَلِكَ عُدْوَانًا وَظُلْمًا فَسَوْفَ نُصْلِيهِ نَارًا وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيرًا O you who believe, eat not up your property among yourselves in vanities, but let there be amongst you traffic and trade by mutual goodwill. Nor kill yourselves, for verily God has been to you most merciful. If any do that in rancor and injustice, soon shall we cast them into the fire, and easy is it for Allah. 
The eighth sin is الركون إلى الظالمين Inclining towards the oppressors. If there's a king or a president or a leader or a person who's oppressive, a tyrant, and you have certain love and appreciation and respect to such a person, then you're risking being with that person on the Day of Judgment. We should stay away from the tyrants, we should stay away from the oppressors, we should disapprove their actions, we should not participate with them in any shape or form. And if we do, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَرْكَنُوا إِلَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا فَتَمَسَّكُمُ النَّارُ Allah says, and incline not to those who do wrong or the fire will seize you. The ayah talks about the the transgressors and oppressors, but it would also apply to anybody who is insisting on sins. We should stay away from that as a form of disapproving the wrong. Uh, it's not enough, by the way, there's a common uh, misunderstanding that as long as you're not doing it yourself, it's okay. That's not the case. Even if you're not doing it yourself, if you are with people who do the sins and you don't disapprove it and you get along with them fine and you, then that in itself constitutes a sin. And for example, working as a security for tyrant. You're not practicing oppression yourself, but you are participating in securing and guarding a person who's doing so. And it could get really uh, dangerous. I mean, there's one, uh, the man, he was a policeman. He came into Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. And this policeman was part of the police force that is uh, under the Khilaf al-Abbasi, under the Khalifa, the Abbasi Khalifa. And at the time there was some good, but there was also a lot of evil going on by the government. So this policeman asked Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal and said, Am I considered to be one of those who are assisting the oppressors? Imam ibn Hanbal said, No, you're not. You are an oppressor yourself. You're not one of those who are assisting. You are part of the police force that is keeping this you are part of the security, you are part of the army that is keeping this regime in power. You are not uh, only inclined toward them. You are part of the system itself. Number nine, Rasulullah says in a hadith, and this is one of the signs of the Day of Judgment, that there are two groups of people from my ummah who are going to be in hellfire and I didn't see them yet, meaning they're going to come in the future. One of them, kasiyat, ariyat. One of them are uh, women who are dressed, but they're not dressed. They're dressed, but they're naked. This means that they have some clothes on, but their clothes, those clothes as if they don't exist. Either being tight or being just strings or whatever. I mean, it's not really classified as clothes. And Rasulullah said that these are a group of my ummah that will be in hellfire. And then the second group are men who have uh, whips in their hand. And this is talking about what I was just mentioning earlier, the security forces and this occurred in the past in the Muslim world before modern weapons were developed. The security forces used to go around with uh, batons and with uh, whips. And uh, Rasulullah said that they are in hellfire because they are the ones who are keeping uh, oppression uh, in place. Rasulullah said that their punishment is Jahannam. Number 10, cruelty towards animals. This hadith is in Bukhari. Rasulullah says that a woman entered into hellfire because of a cat. We also know that there is another hadith that a woman entered into paradise because of uh, a dog. So treating animals nicely or with cruelty could make a difference in the akhirah. 
And this tells us that we should not see anything as insignificant. You never know what will be the cause of forgiveness. Uh, this woman entered into hellfire because of cruelty towards this cat. Rasulullah says she held this cat captive. She did not feed the cat. Neither did she allow the cat to go outside and feed itself. Until the cat died. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put her in a hellfire because of that. And the other hadith about the woman who entered into Jannah because of a dog is because she gave the dog water and saved its life. 11. Seeking religious knowledge for worldly reasons. There could be somebody who is studying sharia. Memorizing Qur'an, learning fiqh. And the Qur'an that they learn and the fiqh that they learn is going to take them to hellfire. What we would assume as paths towards paradise, because Rasulullah says, whoever follows a path of knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make him end up in, in paradise. Whoever goes down the path of knowledge for the sake of Allah, it will end up in paradise. Nevertheless, there are some people who would learn Qur'an and learn Sharia, learn the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they would end up in hellfire because they did it for a worldly reason. They learned it so that they would become famous, they would speak well, they would lead the people, they would use the religion to benefit themselves with it by worldly material. Rasulullah says that the one who seeks knowledge for a reason other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for them is hellfire. The exact hadith is in Ibn Majah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, If you learn knowledge that is used for the sake of Allah, but you are doing it to gain worldly benefits, you will not smell paradise. That means that the person will not even get close to paradise. will stay far away, they wouldn't even smell it. Number 12, cutting down a sidr. A sidr is a type of tree, I think it's translated in English as a lot tree, L-O-T-E. This tree grows in uh, in Arabia. Rasulullah says, whoever cuts down the tree of a sidr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will throw him on his face in hellfire. If he cut down that tree. The reason is, and we'll read the hadith and give the reason because it's Mentioned in the hadith. And this hadith is narrated by Abu Dawood. قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من قطع سدرة سوب الله رأسه في النار رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم says whoever cuts a sidr, the tree of a sidr, Allah will throw him on his head in hellfire. سئل أبو داود عن معنى هذا الحديث فقال هذا الحديث مختصر يعني من قطع سدرة في فلات يستظل بها ابن السبيل والبهائم عبثا وظلما غير حق يكون له فيها سوب الله رأسه في النار Abu Dawood is the one who narrated this hadith. They asked Abu Dawood, what does this hadith mean? Because this sounds strange. You cut down a tree, you go in hellfire. Abu Dawood said the meaning of this hadith is that whoever cuts down a tree of a sidr, which is used by people for shade, for the travelers, and is used by uh, animals for food, and you cut it down for no reason, then that person will be thrown in, in hellfire. This is uh, much stricter than the fines that are in the U.S. for cutting down trees. This is hellfire. But uh, this doesn't mean that it's a general rule that trees cannot be cut down. If there's a reason for cutting down the tree, then it's acceptable. Uh, a reason like uh, for a burning wood or construction. But this hadith is talking about wastefully cutting down a tree. Just going down and cutting down a tree just to get a piece of wood out of it and not 
benefiting for the rest of the tree. That is a waste. And there's a severe punishment for it, which is being thrown in hellfire. Especially in Arabia, because there's a scarcity of trees. I mean, you could travel a very, very long distance until you get a tree and find shade. And animals would have to travel a very far distance to just find a tree to eat. So you're actually causing a lot of harm by cutting down a tree. And Rasulullah says, Fi falah, in the wilderness. This is talking about cutting them in the wilderness. It's different than if it was in the city or in, the, in a certain locality. Number 13, suicide. Uh, the hadith is in Bukhari. says, whoever throws himself from a mountain to kill himself, he is in hellfire, throwing himself from a mountain in hellfire forever. And whoever drinks poison to kill himself will be drinking that poison in hellfire forever. And whoever hits himself in his stomach with a, with a knife to kill himself, then in hellfire they would be stabbing themselves forever. You might say that, why does it say here forever? And we mentioned it in the category which is temporary. Well, the hadith, when it says, this hadith says it is forever, it means a very, very long time. But it doesn't mean eternity. But the word here is used to let us know that it's a very, very long time to the extent that it can carry the label of forever. Even though eventually, if the person has La ilaha illallah, they could go to Jannah. But it's going to be after a long time. That is how bad the sin of suicide is. By the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're done with our first section, which is uh, Jahannam, Nar, Hellfire. Now we move on to the topic of Jannah, Paradise. Uh, the reason why I prefer to use the word paradise rather than heaven is because sometimes heaven, the word heaven or heavens is confused with samawat. Because you have sama, and that is the sky above us, it's translated in English as heaven. So sometimes a person might be talking about the heaven and they mean the sky, while somebody is understanding that they mean paradise. It's confusing, it's one of the limitations of the language that in English the word heaven means two different things. So I usually use the word uh, paradise instead, and it's always better to use the terminology, the authentic and correct terminology, which is Jannah. Who is the first person who will reach to the gates of paradise? In Sahih Muslim, Anas ibn Malik narrates, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ أَنَا أَكْثَرُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ تَابِعًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ مَنْ يَقْرَعُ بَابَ الْجَنَّةِ Rasulullah sallallahu says, I will have the greatest or largest following on the Day of Judgment among all the Anbiya of Allah, and I will be the first person to knock on the gates of Paradise. So Rasulullah sallallahu will get there before anybody else is even close. He will get there while the uh, proceedings of the Day of Judgment are still going on. And people are still being held, they're still going through al-hisab, the reckoning. And Rasulullah is already knocking on the gates of Jannah. And he says in a hadith, also narrated in Muslim. And by the way, brothers and sisters, you might have noticed by now that most of the ahadith I'm using are from Bukhari and Muslim. Because there is sufficient ahadith that are authentic and correct 
to use. So why go and report on a hadith that are doubtful? So most of the hadith that we're using are from Bukhari and Muslim. Sometimes I would bring in a hadith from other books but are also authentic. Rasulullah says in Sahih Muslim, آتي باب الجنة يوم القيامة فأستفتح فيقول الخازن من أنت فأقول محمد فيقول بك أمرت لا أفتح لأحد قبلك Rasulullah says on the day of judgment I will come to the gates of paradise and I will knock on those gates so the gatekeeper will say who are you Rasulullah will say I am Muhammad so the gatekeeper will say, I was given commands by Allah not to open these gates for anyone but you. So the gatekeeper is guarding this gate. He's in his post. He's there for years and years. And he has instructions from Allah that he don't open this gate for anyone but Muhammad wasallam, Because he's going to be the first person to walk into paradise. Following Muhammad wasallam will be the Anbiya of Allah. 124,000. They will enter into Jannah after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then who will be the first person to enter after that? After all of the Anbiya have went in, who will be the first person, the first of mankind to reach the gates of Jannah and enter? Who will it be? Let's see what is mentioned in Sahih in Sunan Abi Dawood. عن أبي هريرة قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أتاني جبريل فأخذ بيدي فأراني باب الجنة الذي تدخل منه أمتي فقال أبو بكر يا رسول الله وددت أني كنت معك حتى أنظر إليه فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أما إنك يا أبو بكر أول من يدخل الجنة من أمتي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم says that جبريل held my hand and he took me to paradise and he pointed to me the gate in which my ummah will enter through and he told me this is the gate your ummah will enter into Jannah from Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu said oh Rasulullah I wish that I was with you to see that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said oh Abu Bakr you are going to be the first among my ummah to enter into paradise now Rasulullah says that he's the first among this ummah. So how can we know that he's going to be the first among all of the ummah? It is because Rasulullah has mentioned in other hadith that the best among humanity after the Anbiya is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Following Abu Bakr as-Siddiq will be the first uh, batch that will enter into Jannah. Rasulullah says about them in Musnad al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أعطيت سبعين ألفا يدخلون الجنة بغير حساب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم says Allah has given me 70,000 of my ummah who will enter into paradise without going through the reckoning so these are a hand-picked few 70,000 from this ummah throughout the history of the ummah the millions of Muslims who lived there will be 70,000 who are chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make them bypass the reckoning. So while everybody else is going through the reckoning on the day of judgment, these 70,000s will go through the back door and enter into Jannah before everybody else. So they will not have to go through what everybody else is going through on the day of judgment. A day that is 50,000 years long. 
For them, they will go into Jannah, take a long rest before the others start showing up. And what is the characteristics of these 70,000? Rasulullah said, وَعَلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ They have tawakkul on Allah. Strong trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They just trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything. They put their trust in Allah's hands. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take them by the hand and enter them into Jannah while everybody else is still going through the accountability. Because every human being will have to go through the reckoning. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will go with them through every deed that they have committed. They will be questioned. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? But for these, they will go straight into Jannah. Rasulullah was very happy with that. But Rasulullah always wants the best for his ummah, so he asked for more. So what was he given? Also in Musnad al-Imam Ahmad, it says that I was given 70,000 to enter into Jannah without reckoning. So I asked Allah for more. So Allah gave me with every one 70,000. So multiply 70,000 by 70,000, you get 4,900,000 are going to enter in the initial stage. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him more. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and I will give you three handfuls that will enter with them. So these are the ones who are bypassing the hisab on the day of judgment and they will enter into Jannah. Rasulullah has told the Sahaba, do the best you can so that you will be included with the first 70,000. We said, first of all, Rasulullah and then the Anbiya and then Abu Bakr and then the 70,000 and with every one of them 70,000 and then three handfuls and then after that the next group that will enter we get to know them from this hadith which is also mentioned in Sahih Muslim uh, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Al-As one of the companions of Rasulullah was visited by three other companions they came to him and they said Oh Abdullah, we are broke. We have nothing. We have no food. No transportation. We have nothing. So help us. Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhu, he said, you have a few choices. If you want, you can come back to me and I will give you what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes easy. And if you want, then I can go to the Sultan, the Amir, and I'll ask him to help you. Or you can have patience. Because I've heard Rasulullah say that the first batch of my Ummah to enter Jannah will be the poor among al-Muhajirin. They will enter into Jannah and the rich will follow them after 40 years. And I'll explain this inshallah in more detail. Let me just read the hadith, the text of the hadith itself. Rawa Muslim, Qala Abu Abdurrahman, Jaa Salasatu Nafarin, Ila Abdullah bin Amr bin Aas, Wana Indahu, Fakalu Ya Aba Muhammad, Inna Wallahi ma naqdiru ala shayin, La nafaka, Wala dabba, Wala mata. Fakala lahum ma shaytum. In shaytum rajatum ilayna, Fa'atay nakum mayasar Allahu lakum. وَإِنْ شِئْتُمْ ذَكَرْنَا أَمْرَكُمْ لِلسُّلْطَانِ وَإِنْ شِئْتُمْ صَبَرْتُمْ فَإِنِّي سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إن فقراء المهاجرين يسبقون الأغنياء يوم القيامة إلى الجنة بأربعين خريفا
قالوا فإنا نصبر لا نسأل شيئا Abu Abdul Rahman reported that three persons came to Abdullah ibn Amr while he was sitting with him and uh, they said by Allah we have nothing with us either in the form of provision riding animals or wealth we're broke we have nothing so thereupon he said to them I am prepared to do whatever you like if you come again to me if you come back to me again I will give you what Allah makes easy or if you like I would make mention of your case to the ruler and if you like you can show patience also for I have heard the messenger of Allah say the destitute among al-muhajirin will precede the rich immigrants by 40 years in getting into paradise on the day of resurrection thereupon they said we then show patience and do not ask for anything now how come the poor among al-muhajirin were 40 years ahead of the rich there is a hadith narrated by al-hakim he says يَأْتُونَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِلَىٰ بَابِ الْجَنَّةِ وَيَسْتَفْتِحُونَ فَيَقُولُ لَهُمُ الْخَزَنَةِ أَوَ قَدْ حُسِبْتُمْ قَالُوا بِأَيِّ شَيْءٍ نُحَاسَبْ إِنَّمَا كَانَتْ أَسْيَافُنَا عَلَىٰ عَوَاتِقِنَا حَتَّى بِتْنَا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ ذَلِكِ قال فَيُفْتَحُ لَهُمْ فَيَقِيلُونَ فِيهِ أَرْبَعِينَ عَامًا قَبْلَ أَن يَدْخُلْهَا النَّاسِ The poor muhajirin will come to the gates of paradise. So the gatekeepers will notice that these people came too early. They were not expecting them to come this soon. So the gatekeepers will ask them, what happened? Did you already go through the reckoning? So the poor muhajireen will say, reckoning for what? We didn't have anything to be reckoned for. We were carrying our swords on our shoulders and we died in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of our lives we were fighting for the sake of Allah, so what will we be held accountable for? The meaning of, of this hadith is that one of the things that will delay the people on the Day of Judgment, is the questioning regarding their wealth. Because we know from another hadith that Rasulullah says, your feet will not move on the Day of Judgment until you ask for questions. Your life, what have you done with it? Your youth, how did you use it? Your wealth, how did you make it? And how did you spend it? So you notice that two questions out of four relate to your wealth. How did you gain it? And how did you spend it? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to go through all of their wealth, how did you make this, how did you make that, how did you spend this, how did you spend that, and that will delay the rich. Now, this is regarding the timing of entering paradise. But it has nothing to do with the levels. See, someone who is poor who enters in the beginning could end up in a low level. And some of the rich who came in years and years later could end up being in a high level. This is strictly speaking about the timing of entering into Jannah. The levels depend on their deeds. But their wealth, the wealthy people will be withheld on the Day of Judgment because money, you have to be questioned about it. So the poor among the Muhajireen, they would save time on the Day of Judgment, they would make it through easily. So these are the first people to enter into Jannah. This Ummah, Rasulullah says about it and this hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Nahnu al-akhirun al-awwaluna yawm al-qiyamah. Wa nahnu awwalun nasi dukhulan al-jannah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, We are the last, but we would be the first on the day of resurrection. And we would be the first to enter paradise. Alhamdulillah that we are part of this ummah.
even though we came at the end of time, but we will be the first on the day of judgment to enter into Jannah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has saved the best for last. For the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu wa alayhi In fact, some of the anbiya used to wish that they would be but a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi This is the honor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, which we're taking for granted. The gates of Jannah, we talked about the first people to enter into uh, paradise. What about the gates of Jannah? Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first of all says about the gates of Jannah. Gardens of eternity whose doors will be ever open to them. So the gates are very welcoming. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَسِيقَ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْ رَبَّهُمْ إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ زُمَرًا حَتَّى إِذَا جَاءُوهَا وَفُتِحَتْ أَبْوَابُهَا وَقَالَ لَهُمْ خَزَنَتُهَا سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ وَقَالَ لَهُمْ خَزَنَتُهَا سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ طِبْتُمْ فَادْخُلُوهَا خَالِدِينَ and those who feared their Lord will be led to the gardens in crowds. Until, behold, they arrive there, its gates will be opened, and its keepers will say, Peace be upon you, well have you done. Enter you here to dwell therein. The angels are welcoming them, inviting them. Peace be upon you, Assalamu alaikum, come in. While we have, on the other hand, we talked about the greetings of the angels on hellfire, they would reprimand the people of hellfire as soon as they're coming through the gates. Didn't you receive prophets from amongst yourselves? How come you didn't believe in them? While over here we have the welcoming of the angels to the people who are entering into Jannah. So in addition to the happiness, just imagine the excitement at that moment. The mu'mineen are rushing through these gates and then the angels are welcoming them. Uh, how many gates are there for Jannah? Eight. And uh, Hellfire? Seven. Hellfire seven and Jannah eight. In Bukhari, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, Paradise has eight gates. And one of them is called Ar-Rayyan, through which none will enter but those who observe fasting. So there's a, a gate that is called Ar-Rayyan. It's special for the ones who used to fast a lot. And the Sahaba, عنهم, they knew the value of fasting. So uh, one of them said, I have no desire in living in this world except for a few things. Number one, to fast the long days of summer. And to pray the long nights of winter. And to sit with brothers who choose the best words. Like you would choose out of a basket of fruit. So they would pick their words. He said, I would sit with these brothers who you would just want to listen to the beautiful words that they would speak. No obscenity, no cursing, no idle talk. They would just choose the best of words. He said, these are the three reasons that make me want to live. Otherwise, there is nothing else in dunya that I'm attached to. And Rasulullah says in a hadith in Bukhari that there is a gate 
called Salah, فمن كان من أهل الصلاة دعي من باب الصلاة ومن كان من أهل الجهاد دعي من باب الجهاد ومن كان من أهل الصيام دعي من باب الريان ومن كان من أهل الصدقة دعي من باب الصدقة صلى الله عليه وسلم says these who engage in prayer will be invited to enter by the gate of prayer those who take part in jihad will be invited to enter by the gate of jihad those who give charity will be invited to enter by the gate of charity and those who observe fast will be invited to enter by the gate of ar-rayyan abu bakr as-siddiq he asked rasulullah sallallahu alaihi he said messenger of allah is it necessary that a person be invited through one of these gates will anyone be invited to enter by all of those gates will there be anyone who will be invited to enter from all of them rasulullah sallallahu alaihi said yes and i hope you will be one of them so abu bakr when he's walking towards Jannah, just imagine this, he's walking towards Jannah. And then you have angels next to every gate. And all of them are asking Abu Bakr to come in from their gate. You know when you go to uh, bazaars and there's a lot of goods and everyone is inviting you, this, come to my shop. All of the angels are going to be asking Abu Bakr to enter from our gate. Come and enter from this gate. All of them want to have the honor of having Abu Bakr Siddiq passing in front of them. Angels. Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Mutahharun, whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called, they are pure. They will be asking Abu Bakr to come and pass next to them. So the Muslim, a human being, see the human being has the potential of being the worst of creation, worse than animals, and has the potential of being the best of creation, better than angels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said some of them, they are like cattle, nay, they are even worse. And some of them, they will be honored to a level that they are higher than the angels. If you want to uh, be invited from all of the eight gates, uh, these are two methods. Number one, it's mentioned in Bukhari, and now the second is mentioned in Muslim. The one in Bukhari, مَنْ شَهِدَ أَلَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وأن عيسى عبد الله ورسوله وكلمته ألقاها إلى مريم وروح منه والجنة حق والنار حق أدخله الله الجنة على ما كان من العمل وزاد من أبواب الجنة الثمانية أيها شاء صلى الله عليه وسلم says whoever testifies that none has the right to be worshipped but Allah alone who has no partners and that Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم is his slave and his apostle. And that Jesus is Allah's slave and his apostle and his word which he bestowed on Mary the Virgin and a spirit created by him. And that paradise is true and hell is true. Allah will invite him to enter from all of the eight gates. So this is talking about deep, firm iman. Believing that there is no one worthy of worship but Allah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ And that Muhammad sallallahu is the messenger of Allah. And you testify that Isa is the messenger of Allah and his servant. And you testify that Jannah is true and hellfire is true. If a person has deep faith in this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will invite him to enter from all of the eight gates. The second method is in Muslim. مَا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ يَتَوَضَّعُ 
ثم يقول أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله إلا فتحت له أبواب الجنة الثمانية يدخل من أيها شاء If anyone amongst you performs wudu, ablution, and then completes wudu well, and then says, I testify that there is no God but Allah, and that Muhammad ﷺ is the servant of Allah and his messenger, the eight gates of paradise would be opened for him and he may enter from whichever of them he wishes. So this is the dua that you say after wudu. What is the dua again? Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wahadu la sharika lah. So you can notice here that in both hadith there is Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. So the kalima of shahada has this value. But a person has to have a firm, certain faith in them. And that's the value of iman. So Jannah has eight gates. How large are they? How big? Rasulullah mentions in Sahih Muslim that the distance between the two leaves of the door from their supporting frames. So we're not talking about the, the whole distance of the door because the gate has two, two sides. Rasulullah says is like the distance between Mecca and Hajar. Hajar is in the extreme east of the Arabian Peninsula. So we're talking maybe a thousand miles plus. Allah, I'm just giving an estimate. But it's a very long distance. That is the size of the gate of Jannah. Rasulullah says in Muslim Imam Ahmad, وَمَا بَيْنَ مِصْرَاعِينَ مِنْ مَصَارِيعِ الْجَنَّةِ مَسِيرَةُ أَرْبَعِينَ عَامًا وَلَيَأْتِيَنَّ عَلَيْهِ يَوْمٌ وَإِنَّهُ لَكَضِيظٌ Rasulullah says, the whole distance between the two sides of the gate is... 40 years walking distance. That's how wide the gate is. 40 years walking distance. And then Rasulullah says, and a day will come when it's going to be crowded. So there will be so many people entering on that day, the day of judgment, Rasulullah says, it will be crowded. Even though it takes uh, 40 years walking to cover the distance of this gate. So we're talking about a lot of people entering into Jannah. Who are the ones who entered into Jannah before the Day of Judgment? Who are they? Who are the ones whom we know will enter into Jannah before the Day of Judgment or they have already been there? A shaheed, uh, children who die at young age. Who was the one who lived in Jannah? Adam salam and Hawa, they lived in Jannah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَقُلْنَا يَا آدَمُ اسْكُنْ أَنْتَ وَزَوْجُكَ الْجَنَّةَ وَكُلَا وَكُلَا مِنْهَا رَغَدًا حَيْثُ شِئْتُمَا We said, O Adam, dwell you and your wife in paradise and eat from wherever you will but do not approach this tree lest you be among the wrongdoers. So this is Adam alayhi salam. And then we have a shuhada. In Sahih Muslim, Masruq said, We asked Abdullah about the Quranic verse, Think not of those who are slain in Allah's way as dead. Nay, they are alive, finding their sustenance in the presence of their Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
ولا تحسبن الذين قتلوا في سبيل الله امواتا بل احياء عند ربهم يرزقون So they came to the Sahabi and they asked him what is meant by this ayah. So he said, we asked Rasulullah this question. Rasulullah said, the souls of the martyrs live in the bodies of green birds who have their nests in chandeliers hung from the throne of Allah. So these birds are living in nests that are hanging from the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They eat the fruits of paradise from wherever they like. And they nest in these chandeliers. Once their Lord cast a glance at them and said, Do you want anything? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking these shuhada. He's telling them, Do you want anything? So they will say, What more shall we desire? I mean, what else do we want? We eat the fruit of paradise from wherever we like. We're going around in Jannah. There's nothing that we want. Rasulullah asked them again. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked them a third time. When they saw that they will continue to be asked and not left without answering the question, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was asking them again and again. And they really realized that they're going to have to give Allah an answer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants them to make a wish. What do you want? They say, they will say, Our Lord, we wish that you may return our souls to our bodies so that we may be slain in your way once again. The greatest desire for us is to go and become a shaheed another time. After we have seen the ajr, the reward of being a shaheed, we want to be there another time. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he saw that they had no need, they were left to their joy in heaven. This is an honor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has reserved for us shuhada. They are living in Jannah. The ones in the grave also, in Bukhari it is mentioned, قَالَ إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ إِذَا مَاتْ عُرِضَ عَلَيْهِ مِقْعَدَهُ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ وَإِنْ كَانَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ فَمِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ وَإِنْ كَانَ مِنْ أَهْلِ النَّارِ فَمِنْ أَهْلِ النَّارِ فَيُقَالُ هَذَا مَقْعَدَكَ حَتَّى يَبْعَثُكَ اللَّهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ When we are in our graves, we will have two windows opened for us. One window opens to Jannah and the other window opens to Hellfire. And we will be told that this is your place in Jannah and that was your place in Hellfire if you would have been there or vice versa. So the people in their graves, they will have two windows showing them Jannah and Nar. For further information, please contact Al-Bashir Publications and Translations at 1-877-745-3330 or 303-574-0095. Our fax number is 303-373-0943 or visit our website at www. Dot albashir.com That's www.al-basheer.com You can also write to our address at 10515 East 40th Avenue, Suite 108, Denver, Colorado, 
Please proceed to the next CD.